But we're going to dive right into the word. And I did not know I kept you guys that long last time, but I will not keep you guys that long today. Amen. I know some of you guys don't mind. But I want to be obedient and make sure that I'm getting you guys out here on time. So we're going to dive right into the word. Amen. Now, remember what I told you. It's gonna it's gonna be crazy. It's gonna confirm everything that 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 Pastor Kirby said. It's gonna confirm everything that Tashomi said. It's gonna confirm the prayer. It's gonna confirm it all. And so we were talking about last week. I taught on um, the series that we're still on, the government and the kingdom. But we talked about how the kingdom functions and how it operates. And so we talked about the fivefold ministry. We talked about the gifts of the spirit. We talked about how all that comes together along with the fruits of the spirit and how the fruits of the spirit actually make the gifts of the spirit operate even better. Amen. So we went into the eighth operation, but I didn't get to speak on it, which is diverse tongues. And so today... Today's message is the title, The Function of Diverse Tongues in the Kingdom. The Function of Diverse Tongues in the Kingdom. Amen? Amen. So let us dive into it. We're going to go to our first scriptures, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 28. And let me pray before I begin, Father, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that your spirit, Father, is already here. Your spirit has already confirmed the message, Father, in which, Lord God, you would have me to speak, Father. So I offer up, Father, my body. I offer up my mind. I offer up, Father, this tongue, Lord God, to speak the things concerning what the spirit has given me, Father. And we thank you, Lord God, that the word is already blessed because you gave it. And we receive it, Father, with a heart of thanksgiving. And we receive it with a heart of gladness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> So 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 28. Amen. Now, remember in the last message, all of this is about the function. The function, okay? So we talked about the function of the fivefold and the function of the gifts. But today we talk about the function of tongues. Now, there will be many messages to come that talks about the benefits that happens when you speak in tongues. But that's not what this message is about. This particular message is about how tongues function in the kingdom, how they move, how they operate in the kingdom of God. Amen? So let us go to our first scriptures, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 28, the Amplified Version, and it says, Now you meaning us collectively, are Christ's body, and individually you are members of it, each with its own special purpose and function. So God has appointed and placed in the church for his own use, first apostles chosen by Christ, second prophets, those who foretell the future, those who speak a new message from God to the people, Third, teachers, then those who work miracles, then those with the gifts of healings, the helpers, the administrators, and speakers in various kinds of unknown tongues. Amen? 
Amen. So there is only one operation. One operation. Now, all of those things that I just mentioned in that scriptures are the operations of the kingdom which God the Father is over, which I mentioned last Sunday. But there is only one of those in all of those operations that we can fulfill immediately after we are born again. And that's the eighth operation listed in this scripture called diverse or diversity of tongues. The moment we receive Jesus as Savior, we can also receive at that very moment the baptism of the Holy Spirit and begin to speak with other tongues, which our spirit continues to pray for us in order to qualify us for all of the other operations that we've listed. So tongues are the language of the kingdom, and it's a part of the foundation of all the other seven mentioned up here if we are going to become all that God called us to be. Now, a person cannot, and I repeat, a person cannot become a mighty apostle, for an example, or a mighty prophet five minutes after they have been born again. You never heard of such a thing, but it's happening. <laughs> he or she must first, through grace, through grace, become qualified, become trained, become prepared, and seasoned by the Holy Spirit before God will separate them to an office in which they have called, which he has called them to go into. So on the other hand, the person can move what? Right into the eighth operation, what we just mentioned here, which is diverse tongues right after the rebirth. So, for example, say a person responds to the altar call, and they say, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I want him to be Lord over my life. Then the person that's doing the altar call says, what? You have just received Christ, the DNA of God, which makes you a son or a daughter of God, and now you're able to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. So what begins to happen? Suddenly, the person's chin starts to shake. They feel rivers of living water in their abdomen. Some experience it as fire. Others experience it as joy and laughter. And then after that, the person given the altar call begins to tell them, well, to speak out the language that you hear and let it come forth out of your mouth. And just like that, just like Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 28 and 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. Now, why would the Father design it this way? Why are tongues available to us right after we get adopted by Abba? Because praying in tongues has everything to do with our becoming prepared and qualified for the call. 
So as we pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit begins to do this. When we begin to pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit begins to build into our heart, meaning our spirit, the understanding of the will of God for our life. So guess what? If you're having trouble knowing which way to go, you should be praying in tongues. If you're having a hard time knowing who you are in God, you should be praying in tongues. If you, should be ha if you have a hard time knowing the will of God for your life, you should be praying in tongues. Because when you pray in tongues, he begins to download his agenda, his plan, his purpose, literally in you. And what begins to happen is the Holy Spirit begins to bring up and magnify the word that's already that's in you. It begins to agree with the word that is in you and the word that is in the Bible. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit was there when the Father spoke about you. So guess who knows the plans? The Holy Spirit does. Amen? Amen. Now, as we pray in tongues, like I said, he'll build it into our heart. And the thing about this teaching is that not much really is taught on the diversity of tongues. Because I have to teach you, I have to mention tongues even to get into diversity of tongues. We don't have much teaching on the diversity or diverse tongues because within the church, there is not much understanding on how the kingdom actually functions. Now, that's surprising. Not only should it be surprising for you, but it's surprising for me because the thing about it is that Paul himself, Paul himself taught the Corinthian church about how the Holy Spirit and the gifts operate. Now, this is what he did, and this is why it's surprising. Number one, this is the first thing that he considered when he was teaching them. He considered the fact that he knew that, number one, these were new converts. The second thing that he considered is that they, remember, they had a God for everything to worship. They had a sun God and a moon God and a grass God and a soil God. Oh, God, they had gods everywhere. <laughs> and so he didn't want them to do what? He didn't want them to bring in incorrect doctrine into the church. He didn't want them to bring in old philosophies into the church. He didn't want them to bring in old religious mindsets and old religious perceptions into the church so he decided to teach them how tongues and how the gifts function and move in the kingdom of God so they would have the right perspective amen now that is what we're going to do we're going to explore for further into this eighth operation of God's government called diverse types of tongues because it's not this mystical, magical thing that, that, that we're talking about in regards to, okay, there's a language here, there's a language there, there's a language there, we can go into diverse tongues. That's not what it's saying. So let's go into that. Now, the word diversities or diverse simply means difference or differences. Therefore, the term diverse tongues or diversity of tongues tell us there are different supernatural flows or manifestations of tongues. 
So although many diversifications of tongues occur as the Spirit wills, meaning that we all have a different language that the Holy Spirit gives us, our heavenly prayer language that the Father gives. But this particular scripture, when it talks about diverse types of tongues, is telling you that there are four ways that diverse tongues manifest themselves in the word of God. And these four things are tongues for personal edification, tongues for interpretation, tongues for intercessorial groanings, and tongues as a sign to the unbeliever. And so we're going to talk about all four of those today, beginning with tongues for personal edification. Now, the rules that govern the operation of tongues for personal edification are as different as night and day from the rules that govern tongues for interpretation. Furthermore, the rules that govern deep intercessional groanings of the spirit are completely different from either one of the two manifestations of tongues mentioned. And the tongues that are for a sign as a believer are different from the other three tongues up there. So each one has its own rules and how it functions in the kingdom of God. So of these four different manifestations of tongues, two of them are designed to be used in your individual prayer life. And that is the tongues for personal edification and tongues for intercessional groanings of the spirit. The other two tongues are tongues that we actually use in a more corporate setting. And that is the tongues for um, the tongues for interpretation and the tongues for as a sign to the believer. Those two are to be used in more of a corporate setting. Now, as we continue to yield ourselves to these different manifestations of tongues, what it will begin to do is actually really transform the way that we pray and it will begin to transform our life because what will have the understanding behind what we do when we do it and why we do it is for instance like when we decided we were going to fast but we had no knowledge or understanding behind fasting what it does so we were just fasting but when we gain the understanding behind what actually happens when you fast, it's like there's more power that's released because you're coupling what you now know, which is understanding. You're coupling understanding, and you're adding that to you're, you're adding knowledge to understanding, understanding to wisdom, and now there's an application. So it's more powerful when you have an understanding behind why you do what you do. So that is my point here today, is to give you an understanding of how tongues function so that when we do go into tongues for whatever reason, for personal purposes, for intercessional purposes, as the Spirit gives us interpretation of tongues, and as the Spirit um, also gives a sign to the unbeliever, we'll know exactly what's going on, and we can come into an agreement with that. Amen? Amen. All right, so you guys ready? So let us dive in. Amen. Number one, tongues for personal edification. 1 Corinthians 14 and 4. 
And it says, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the whole church. Now, we won't deal with the prophetic part of it because we're just talking about tongues today. So a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. So we're talking first, remember, about tongues for personal edification. Now, this is the supernatural language in which the Holy Spirit begins to pray through. So guess what? We can use tongues for personal edification hour after hour after hour after hour as we desire it. It accompanies the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the most common, yet it is the most unique manifestation of diverse tongues. Tongues for edification is the prayer language each of us receives when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So tongues for edification is used by the Father to do this, to transfer divine secrets and mysteries from his spirit to ours. Amen? Tongues for personal edification gives us the basic foundational operation of God because he designed it that way. And the reason why he designed it that way, he set it up to the point that no man or woman, saved or unsaved, are going to be able to do this for you. And he set it up this way to, in order to build into your spirit when you're speaking in tongue, you're building in your spirit godly traits. So guess what? You're building in yourself when you're speaking in tongues. If you have a problem with love, guess what you should be doing? Speaking in tongues because the spirit is, getting, is building that trait in you. He's building love in you. He's building divine insight of God's word that you're reading. He's revealing that to you when you speak in tongues. He's also giving you wisdom to know right from wrong and from truth, from falsehood, when you come into contact with things that just don't make no sense. Now, if you've been speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit will say, nope, that's not a good idea. He's going to give you insight on what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing, contracts you should accept, and contracts that you should not accept. Amen? Amen. Now, seven out of the nine gifts of the Spirit listed when we read in 1 Corinthians 12 and 28, and three out of the four diversity of tongues that we're talking about today, all of them are given as the spirit wills. Seven out of the nine and three out of the four are given as the spirit wills, meaning that it has nothing to do with you. He just wants to use you. Amen. But there is one diverse tongue that you personally can operate in at will, meaning at your pleasure. Anytime you want to, for as long as you want to, and immediately I said after receiving Christ, and that is tongues for personal edification, the Father has done with this simple gift that he has done with no other. And guess why? Because he literally has made you the steward of your own edification process. He has made you the steward of that, not nobody else. Your mama can't pray in tongues for you. Your husband, even though you're one, he can't pray in tongues for you. 
That's something that you are the steward of. You are the steward over your own edification process. Amen? Amen. Now, with our own free will, we determine. We determine. Meaning you decide. You get to decide how little or how much that you want to pray in tongues. Which means that the ownership of tongues for edification is on you. It's a personal thing. It's on you. Now, we can stay in the secret place as long as we want to. We can spend as much time as we want to with Abba. And the only thing that it will do as far as benefit us is going to help us climb towards being what? Qualified for what the Father has called you to do. So if he called you to be great in business, guess what you need? You need tongues. <laughs> if he called you to have several businesses, guess what you need? You need tongues. If he called you to write books, guess what you need? You're going to need to speak in tongues. Amen? Amen. So as we pray in tongues for our personal edification, the Holy Spirit releases the Father's perfect plan for you right inside of you. The mystery of Christ in you, right inside of you, you begin to build in your spirit what God has called you to do. And whatever area or whatever seven mountain that he has called you to go to. Amen? Amen. So, the spirit begins to pray through our spirit for the needs in our life that we aren't even aware of. There's things that we need in our life. There's things that our future needs that we don't even know we need. And the spirit begins to pray those specific things that we personally want to need moving forward and for right now, too. That's how important this thing is. So during this edification process, spiritual authority grows, and our faith becomes, as the Bible says, built up. So we can reach a place in the spirit where so much authority is released as we line up against the devil and we bind him in Jesus' name that our commands of faith begins to shake the enemy's kingdom. Amen. And don't clap so soon. Don't clap so soon because I'm going to tell you this first. We're not going to cause the devil's kingdom to crumble and fall in our faith when our faith is being shaken because we can't pay a credit card bill. So I want to put that in perspective for you, that we're not going to make nothing crumble or crawl or fall if we can't take control of our own emotions first and then take control of our own lives. Then you can take control and make the enemy's kingdom crumble when it's working in your life first. Amen? So, this is a lesson that even the prophet Elijah, he had to learn this. So, we're going to go to 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4, so you can see. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4 says, Now Ahab told Jezebel, all that Elijah had done. This brother had just defeated, just defeated, 
just killed all the prophets on Mount Carmel and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like the life of one of them. So basically in our terminology what she's saying, she said, I'm coming for you. <laughs> by this time tomorrow you're going to be dead. That's what she said. Boy, Jezebel always hurling out threats but can't do nothing. Anyways, verse 3, and Elijah was afraid and arose and ran. <laughs> they took this and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself traveled a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, this brother drove himself into the wilderness. Now, Jesus was drove into the wilderness by the spirit. This brother here drove himself into the wilderness and he came and sat down under a juniper tree and asked God that he might die. He said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father. So basically he came to a point in where he was afraid. He was scared of what Jezebel said that she said she was going to kill him. But after defeating the prophets of Baal, and he said that and drove himself into the wilderness, and he began to cry and whine and complain under the juniper tree, God sent an angel to strengthen him, and he dealt with him. The Father has created a place of peace that we can enter into during prayer. This is the place where we can count it all joy when we fall into different temptations, when we fall into different tests, when we fall into different trials in life, why can we do that? Because we have grown in our spiritual authority. We build ourselves up in our most holy faith and we pray in the spirit. So we have begun to learn how to what? Change our circumstances, and change our situations that are arrayed against us and circumstances and situations that the devil thought that he really had us. We can enter into peace in that secret place, the, the most perfect place that you can be. Amen. Number two, tongues for interpretation. First Corinthians 14 and 5. And it says, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you all could prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Now, this is probably the shorter of the, all of the rest of them. Um, um, this manifestation of tongue right here is normally present, like I say, in a corporate setting or in an assembly. And it's given the interpretation when the tongue goes out, remember, as the spirit wills, when the tongue goes out, the interpretation comes behind it, either by the person who gave the tongue or another person in the congregation. Tongues for interpretation occurs when a message is given in an unknown tongue and then is interpreted in our own native language, would be English or, or whatever the case may be in the assembly. 
And so it gives a message to the whole body of believers when this happens. So we cannot, remember in the first one I said that we can operate in tongues for personal edification as we want to, as we will, as long as we want to. But for this one in particular, tongues for interpretation, we cannot operate in tongues for interpretation as we want to. It is as the spirit wills. The spirit decides he's who he's going to use, and the spirit decides who he gives the interpretation to. Amen? Number three. Tongues of deep intercestrial groanings. Romans 8, 26. And it says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Now, tongues of deep intercestral groanings is another diversity that God moves us into as we allow him to transform us into the image of his son. It is the third main diversity of tongues. But again, remember, this one too cannot be generated by our own will. Even though we can pray in our understanding and intercede for those in which we know with our understanding, this diversification of tongues empowers the believer to stand in the gap for their own life, for their family's life, for the church, for a city, for a nation, etc. The Father may call you to intercede for someone or for some situation that is totally unknown to you. Now, for example, now, if I know, for instance, that my son is going on, let's say hypothetically going on a job interview, right? This is how this works. I can pray in my understanding for favor. I can pray for wisdom for him as he meets the prospective employer and answer the questions correctly. I can pray for that. However, if the devil has laid out plans to take his life by having a semi-truck hit him on the way to the interview, I will have no knowledge of that. Now, it's during times like that that the Holy Spirit will come upon us and begin, and we will begin to intercede with groanings that you may not know how to pray about the situation, but guess what? The Spirit does. Amen. God has called us as people. Mm. Let me say this first. Chris called Apostle, I forgot what day that was. And he was saying, like, he's like, I got a revelation. I got a revelation that God gave to me. I got a revelation. And we was like, okay, you listening. And he was like, he was like, we can, well, he said that we can, me and Apostle, can forgive people. And he said, you know, he was like, you guys can forgive people. Then he was like, you know, we all can forgive people. And at that very moment, it was crazy that you said that and you called and you said that because as I was doing this lesson, he literally opened that back up, what you had said. And he said it through uh, this word as far as tongues for ancestral groanings. And he actually took me to, to the scripture where what you had said, Chris, was very true. And so 
we're going to go into Luke 11, 5 through 8. This is crazy. <laughs> God has literally called us as people who will ask for bread on the behalf of another person. Luke 11, 5 through 8. And it says, now, let me say this before I read this. For so many years, I have read this scripture, and I always thought it was about persistence of prayer. <laughs> but it actually opens wider than that. And it says, verse 5, then teaching them more about prayer. Now, to think about it, in this very chapter, he had just taught the disciples because they asked him, teach us how to pray. And he just had taught them how to pray. So then he says, then teaching them more about prayer. He begins to teach them even more about prayer. And so he says, he uses a story to teach them more about prayer. He says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for midnight, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Amen. Can I get a um, uh, tissue, please? Now, thank you. Now, in intercession, in intercession, we become the person in the middle, asking for bread for a friend. We are the ones who stand in the gap. We aren't asking for ourselves. When he knocked on the door, he wasn't asking for bread for himself. He was asking for bread for a friend. So if the friend had not come into his home, he would have been asleep because he would have no need for bread. We are the go-between for the needs of our friends. This, by definition, is what you actually call intercession. So as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to use us in deep intercession for our unsaved loved ones, our friends, our brothers, and our sisters in Christ, God will answer us. Amen? Amen. We have to realize that although our mind... That's the key thing. Our mind may not understand. We are producing results as we intercede. Our Heavenly Father is more than willing to flow through our intercessory prayers than what we actually are willing to receive that manifestation of tongues. He is willing to give us bread on the behalf of another person. And here is more proof of it. 1 John if you're still not convinced, 1 John 5, 11 through 17. And it says, now here is, is saying that if we see a brother sin that is not unto death, we can ask the Father to give us bread. Now let's read. 
This is the testimony in essence. God gave us eternal life, the life of his son. So we received it. So whatever has the son has life. So guess who has life? We do. Whoever rejects the son rejects life. So guess what? Those that don't want anything to do with him, you don't have life. My purpose in writing is simply this, that you who believe in God's son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life, the reality, not the illusion. And how bold and free we then become in his presence, freely asking according to his will, sure that he is listening. And if we're confident that he is listening, we know that whatever we've asked for is as good as ours. For instance, if we see a Christian believer sinning, clearly I'm not talking about those who have, make a practice of sinning in any way that is fatal, leading to eternal death. We ask the God's help, and he gladly gives it, gladly gives it. There's no, no striving with this thing. He gladly gives it to you. Gives life to the sinner whose sin is not fatal. There is such a thing as a fatal sin. And I'm not urging you to pray about that. Everything we, we do wrong is sin, but not all sin is fatal. So this is how this works. If a person is walking, let's say, in unforgiveness, of course, of course, they're going to have to deal with the unforgiveness with the father themselves. Of course, we know that part. But, however, you personally can make intercession for the person until the devil's hold is broken and they make the necessary decision to come to the father to take care of the matter. So we can thank the father that he can use us to intercede for those who sin a sin that is not unto death. He will cause us to stand in the gap, taking authority, against the works of darkness for our brother's and sister's life, we can ask for life for those with no life. And we can ask for bread for those that have no bread. And then guess what? Abba will grant the request gladly. Amen? Amen. Now, to further give you proof, if you're still not convinced, John 5 and 13 simply says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is a way in which you lay down your life. You lay down your wants. You lay down your desires. You lay down your whole list of what you want God to do for you. And you lay that all aside to pray for a friend. The Bible says there's no greater love than to do that. Amen? Amen. amen. Now, amen. Now, if you're willing to be used, not only to stand in the gap, but to stand against what the enemy will try to throw at you, Abba will use you. 
Remember to keep in mind that you cannot go into deep groanings of intercession anytime you want to because it's going to be as the spirit wills and, 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 uh, and chooses you and picks you, but you can posture your heart in order to be used by him to go into that. Amen? Some people think that they can go into it as they will, but all that does is produces groanings out of their emotions. There's a difference between groaning out of your emotion and a heart that prays and a posture that allows the Father to use them. There's a total difference between the two. So when the Father puts you in a position like that, what happens is that your heart begins to cry out, and that's totally different than a cry from emotions. And another fact about tongues for intercession I want us to realize first is that this, that when you are interceding for someone, this is the first thing that you have to keep in your mind, that Abba loves you just as much as he loves the person that you're praying for. And you have to keep that in mind because it helps you not only to know that he hears you, but it helps you to know that whatever you're praying for, that he will answer it because he loves you and he loves the person that you're praying for. Amen? And when he begins to put you also into a place of intercession to stand in the gap, I also have to keep this in mind, but not from a stance of being fearful, okay? I want to tell you, when you decide to intercede and to stand in the gap, you will attract the powers of hell. You will attract the powers of hell, So, which means that you have to be in the place of strength. You have to be in your word in order to do this because the devil will come against you. Because you are being used, you're literally blocking his plans from causing destruction on another person. You think you're just going to get away with that and him not touch nothing? So that's why you have to be in a place of strength. You have to be built up in tongues. You have to get into the word because you will attract the powers of hell because you're tearing down their kingdom. Reminds me of your dreams you had. <laughs> Watchmen. <laughs> Amen. But we don't do this, remember, out of fear because we haven't received the spirit of fear. There's nothing to be afraid of, especially he said what? Perfect love cast out the fear. So be in a place of strength because just like the Bible said, the devil has several tactics. He has several witching ways that he can touch your life, but that's why you gotta you have to keep that at the forefront of your mind. Sonship first. The Father loves me. The Father loves the person that I'm praying for. He will protect me. He will guide me. There's nothing that the enemy will be able to do to me, even, even if the weapon forms and won't prosper. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, the last one is tongues as a sign to the unbeliever. Tongues as a sign to the unbeliever. And this is where we're going to come from. This is 1 Corinthians 14 and 22. And it says, so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. This is like a tongue twister. 
So the first deal with the first part, because remember I said we won't, we're not going into prophecy what it does. We'll get there. But today we're talking about tongues. So it says that tongues is a sign not for believers. Tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Now, in this passage, Paul reflects, a, actually reflects on the words of the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah 28, 11 through 12, and we'll read this. And it says, indeed, the Lord will teach his people in a more humbling way. By men with stammering lips in a foreign language, he who said to them, this is the place of quiet, give rest to the weary, and this is the resting place, yet they would not listen. Now, once again, this seems like a mysterious thing, but... It's not. So here Isaiah is basically warned the unbelieving Israel that God's judgment was that the foreign tongues of the Assyrians would perk up their ears and that Israel would know that they had been unfaithful to God's covenant as foreigners begins to tread upon the land that was promised to them. This also confirms also the, which we'll get into, the Pentecostal accounts in Acts chapter 2. Um, you can just write this down. I don't have this verse. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13, where the foreign language uttered by the apostles were assigned to some of the Jerus to Jerusalem's unbelieving Jews. Now, what is this scripture basically saying? What Isaiah was saying was this. He was saying was this. Because you guys did not believe and you guys broke the covenant, that God had given you, he said this would be the sign to you that that covenant had been broken and that God would give the land to somebody else. The sign of that would be, would be that there would be a foreign tongue amongst the midst of you that would not be in your native language. As soon as you hear those tongues and the mist in your land, you will know that the covenant has been broken. And so this is what Paul was actually reflecting on when he spoke in 1 Corinthians 14 and 22, saying that tongues is a sign for the unbelievers. This is the scripture that he was referencing at. Now, because they had rejected Jesus as the Messiah and were rejecting the apostles' own proclamations of Christ's resurrection, the tongues of foreign people in the land of Israel were sending literally a double message to those unbelieving Jews who were present. It was a it was it was a sign back in Isaiah's time that the covenant that that they agreed to was broken and he's saying it's a sign still today for unbelievers that guess what that Gentiles and the like have received the covenant that is not just for Jews anymore. So, unless they repented and accepted Jesus as their Messiah, God would send the blessing of the gospel to the nations, and judgment will come to the nation of Israel. Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 14 and 22 is this, that the gift of tongues continues to function for a sign to unbelieving Jews that their rejection of Jesus Christ was a critical error, and that they could only expect judgment as a result so what does this mean for us today that when unbelievers come into our midst 
and they see that all of us have received a heavenly foreign prayer language in here when we're speaking in tongues, it becomes a sign that the door of salvation is wide open and that the promise that was only given to the Jews have been extended to the Gentiles through a critical error of them just rejecting Christ. But this, remember this, to keep us rolling back into humility, but this is not so that we can boast. Remember what Romans 11, 11 through 20 says. We'll read this and then we'll go into the prophetic demonstration. So Romans 11, 11 and 20 says, so I say, talking about Israel, have they stumbled so as to fall to spiritual ruin? Certainly not. But by their transgressions, their rejection of the Messiah, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. When they realize what they have forfeited, now if Israel's transgressions means riches for the world at large, and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment and reinstatement be? But now I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in the hope of somehow making my fellow countrymen jealous by stirring them up so that they will seek the truth and perhaps have saved some of them. For if their present rejection of salvation is for the reconciliation of the world to God, what will their acceptance of salvation be but nothing less than life from the dead? If the first portion of the dough offered as the first fruits is holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root Abraham, the patriarchs, is holy, so are the branches, the Israelites. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you Gentiles, being like a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among them to share with them the rich root of the olive tree, do not boast over the broken branches and exalt yourself at their expense. If you do boast and feel superior, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand by faith as believers understanding the truth of Christ's deity. Do not be conceited but rather stand in great awe of God and fear him. Amen. So tongues as a sign to the unbeliever is meant to be a sign to them that the spirit of God is truly present among us. A sign that goes all the way back to Isaiah and beckon the people to repent. Amen. 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 So right now we are going to go into the prophetic demonstration.